This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff, like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that would like to remind us that all of mankind will kneel before Zod. Here he is, the captain. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are very happy to be featuring Warm Hand Splash by the fine folks over at Dancing Gnome. This is a true celebration of Citra Hops. You'll get a citrus explosion of pungent grapefruit, tangerine, and a hint of peach. Garage grade four and a half bottle caps out of five. And let's give some thanks and praise to our good friends for helping us fill up the fridge this week. First up, a cheers to Cynthia in West Lafayette, Indiana. The big OH goes out to Brandy from Akron, Ohio. Here's a cheers to Amanda in O'Fallon, Missouri. And a big We Like Egypt to Susan in Carmel, California. Next up, Captain, here's a cheers to Joseph in Zena, Ohio, or as I call him, Joey F. And last but certainly not least, we have Savannah in Kalispell, Montana. Everyone we just mentioned, well, they went to TrueCrimeGarage.com and they clicked on the donate button. And for that... We thank you. Yeah, we thank you. B-W-E-R-R-U-N, Beer Run. Make sure you sign up on our mailing list. If you haven't, then you haven't been receiving the promo codes we send out every month. We'll find you anyway. And if you have signed up, but you haven't been receiving the emails, that's because you put the wrong email in there, so you need to re-sign up, and that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. The Kern River, 
is a wild and scenic river in the great state of California that spans approximately 165 miles. It drains an area of the southern Sierra Nevada mountains, northeast of Bakersfield. Fed by snowmelt near Mount Whitney, the river passes through scenic canyons in the mountains and is a popular destination for whitewater rafting and kayaking. It is the southernmost major river system in the Sierra Nevada. Despite its remote source, nearly all of the river is publicly accessible. In the summer of 2018, some recreational teenage swimmers in the Kern River near Hart Park were met with a rather unpleasant surprise. They found a duffel bag in the river. The bag was zipped shut and had some heft to it. The weight of the bag had some of the teenagers thinking that it could contain something valuable inside, possibly even money. The teens eagerly opened the bag to investigate its contents. To their disappointment, the first item they found in the bag was a sweatshirt. Well, that makes sense. A sweatshirt inside a duffel bag. Thoughts of possibly recovering jewelry or someone's lost stash of cash were fading, as now it's beginning to look like they simply found someone's lost gym bag. But further investigation yielded a rather strange find. Looking into the bag, they could see what appeared to be raw meat. Not a dead animal, but it looked almost like something one might buy from the butcher shop. Perhaps a raw chicken. But wrong again. Nope, boys. That's not a chicken. And of course, here is the unpleasant surprise reveal that you have been waiting for. The strange item in the duffel bag was actually a human limb. It was a badly decomposed severed arm. It was not possible to determine whether the arm was cut off pre or post-mortem. The arm had a black zip tie still on the wrist and marks indicating that the arm was removed with the use of a saw. This horrific discovery will not be the start of our story, but rather one confirmation of earlier suspicions. Three adults who traveled in similar circles in the same town in the span of just one month were murdered or vanished and feared dead. Those three were dubbed the Bakersfield Three. From a Reddit comment by Amador9, a seemingly local individual sums up Bakersfield and parts of Kern County, California as they see it. And the comment reads, Bakersfield is the antithesis of everybody's popular image of California. Unlike the coastal regions, Bakersfield is flat, dusty, and a long way from the ocean. It is conservative, poor, and not the least bit fashionable. Bakersfield was once a country music hotspot, but not anymore. And drugs, criminal activity, and murder are nothing new to the region. Exactly who was responsible for the murdered, vanished, and feared dead? What exactly happened to them? This is True Crime Garage, and this is the case of the Bakersfield Three. 
At 34 years of age, Micah Holsenbake had lived a fairly normal and stable life. He was raised in Rosedale, an upper middle class neighborhood of Northwest Bakersfield by parents Lance and Cheryl, with whom he was very close. He was a normal, even smarter than average kid, spouting football stats and arguing on the debate team. A good student, he graduated from high school and attended college for a year before deciding it was not for him. He joined the Navy, but was discharged after he continued to suffer from growths in the back of his throat, which required surgeries. He took a job as a bank teller and obtained his license to become a financial advisor and was successful able to provide for his family, a wife and a son. Micah was outgoing, a bit of a jokester, and generally happy. But a rocky marriage and a subsequent divorce contributed to a downhill spiral. Micah had several throat surgeries, and each time after was prescribed pain pills. After several cycles through this surgery equals pain pills routine, he became addicted. And in 2016, his life really started to change. Micah's family noted a shift in his demeanor and attitude. He lost not only custody of his son, but visitation rights as well, which reportedly devastated him. He started to get into bar fights, acting belligerent and unstable. He took a leave from his job, citing a struggle with depression that was debilitating. But eventually his employer became fed up with his absence and fired him. Through all of this, it didn't really seem to be depression that Micah may have been suffering from. Micah told his mom, Cheryl, that he was afraid. He was in danger, he said. His mom wasn't sure of the exact cause, and he seemed to be suffering from paranoia. But she was getting the sense that her son had been threatened by someone. He started to behave erratically and became unreliable and unpredictable, and then One day, he was gone. He was reported missing in March of 2018. Yes, on the 15th of that month, Captain Cheryl, his mother, dropped Micah and another unnamed person off in Bakersfield in a neighborhood that was less than desirable. In fact, it was crime and drug ridden. She says that she never saw him again after that. Now, on the 17th, Micah called his mom and asked or demanded for some money to help pay for a motel room for him and a friend. Cheryl says that she refused, that they argued over the phone, and eventually she just hung up on him. Hotel motel. Micah was seen on the 23rd by an extended family member crossing the street at Mount Vernon Avenue and Flower Street. This is near Kern Medical Center. But then after that, we don't have any more sightings of Micah. He seemed to have vanished from that point on. Friends started calling, looking for him, and Cheryl and Lance's mother and father could not reach him at any attempt. They went to his apartment and got the landlord to let them in. They say that everything was in order when they went to his apartment. Now, after about two weeks of not being able to reach him and finding that he had not been in contact with anyone, his parents filed a missing persons report and then unfortunately just kind of had to wait and find out if the police could determine anything. And they said, quote, we didn't hear back from anybody at the police department. Uh, This is what Micah's mom told Bakersfield.com. 
it seems police wrote Micah's disappearance off to him skipping town to either avoid legal hot water or some other situation. And after coming up with that hypothesis, didn't really investigate his disappearance. The first media report came out about Micah missing on April 13th, 2018. So we already see a bit of a delay there as well. The family was obviously frustrated with the whole situation that they could not find their loved one and the lack of action by the media, by law enforcement. But really this frustration captain is just going to be the beginning of the situation for Micah's family. Well, it seems when we have somebody with some kind of mental illness or drug addiction that the the media and the public, they don't seem as concerned with these individuals as, as maybe uh, just a normal person that went missing. Well, or even let's take that a step further. You say normal person being missing. I think we have to factor in here too. This man is in his mid thirties. Right. And that probably has a lot to do with law enforcement. They're thinking, look, if he did skip town, he skipped town, and there's probably a good reason for it. So that's always a possibility here. They may not have known the full extent of the situation either. Sometimes when people are reported missing, the people that report them missing, and I'm not, I don't know the situation here, Captain, so I don't want to put any blame on the family, but... If you are expecting action, make sure that you are very clear about what you believe is going on with that individual at the time of their disappearance. And here in this situation, we have the mother who's later telling us, the public, that look, while he took a leave of absence from work citing depression, maybe he was depressed, maybe he wasn't, but he loses his job and mom is saying, I actually think that what is going on at this point is that he is paranoid and we don't know if the paranoia is coming from the drugs or from him being threatened as she was suspecting yeah, or, or a combination of both. Yeah. Or a combination of mental illness with drug use. Now we need to introduce another individual. This is 38 year old James Colstead. James was a successful entrepreneur. He opened up his own skate shop and got a patent for his torch trucks. Now, for those of you that don't know a whole lot about skateboards, I know very little bit, but I know that the trucks are on the bottom portion of the skateboard. And from what I understand here, Captain, this is pretty cool stuff. Torch trucks, this patent that he he got was a skateboard parts basically that enhance sparking when they're used on rails. So very cool kind of stuff there, kind of video game type stuff, if you ask me. It makes me think of Tony Hawk. Also, he was a Bakersfield native. James really only worked his day job in order to afford his favorite hobby, which was surfing. Now, he also loved to gamble. In fact, he was known to his friends as Joe Vegas. Yeah, this year at CrimeCon, they're going to call me Captain Vegas in the inflatable dates. There you go, Captain Vegas. James has two young daughters. One of them, Cameron, was raised by her grandparents after her mom's death in a car crash when she was just 16 months old. But she and James were close and had sleepovers. They watched movies and made cookies together. They drove around blasting music. So even though she's being raised by grandparents, it seems like the two were close and very good friends. 
But James, like Micah, had a problem. He had broken his wrist in an accident and since 2016 was addicted to prescription opioids he was given after surgery on his arm. Like many, he quickly found that he could not live without the drugs and his need for them escalated. He turned to fentanyl patches and then to heroin. His daughter Cameron recognized her dad's struggle with illicit substances after she saw crushed up pills next to a rolled up dollar bill. He started to disappear for days at a time. Finally, James did go to rehab, but it didn't fully take and he continued to struggle. And this has been such a common sad reality for so many people and how quickly pain pill addiction can turn into heroin addiction or meth addiction. And this really, to me, is at kind of the height of all of that, where you have these these pain pills in many different forms, and unfortunately, all of them are highly addictive. It's very easy and very quick to get addicted to these types of drugs, and then they become expensive or they're no longer available to you, so you start seeking out other ways to get that same feeling or to manage your addiction. Right. And today, thankfully, I'm of the belief that we're much more aware of this situation. Maybe the medical professionals should have been aware of it before. You think? But at least today, I feel like pain management is structured differently than it would have been 10 years ago, 15 years ago, or as we're seeing here, even just five or six years ago. Now, in James's situation, One night that we need to talk about here, Captain, is the night of April 7th. This is when James left his mother's house. His mother is Diane Burns. He leaves her house around 1030. Later that same night, we're now talking 1.30 a.m., he was in a car pulling out a driveway of a residence in South Bakersfield when James crashed into a parked trailer on Cobble Mountain Road near Sandstone Lane. After the crash, James somehow managed to stagger out of the wrecked car. Now, this is not going to be easy because he's in bad shape. The car's in bad shape. This is one of those little Fiat cars, and it's pretty smashed up too. James is six foot five inches tall. So Big boy. Yeah, so getting a, a large man getting out of a small smashed up car is quite difficult. From my understanding, Captain, I believe he had to crawl or kind of squirm his way out of the passenger side door. To make this all the more difficult and all the more tragic, the reason why he crashed his car is because he was shot. Well, that's a reasonable reason. James eventually collapsed after getting out of the vehicle. He collapsed to the ground, and his brother Ryan who was at the same house, at the same location that James was at earlier that he had left from, he's leaving the area too, same route, discovers his brother's car and his brother lying on the ground. Right. And he finds his brother, James, basically at the scene of this crash. Am I crazy to assume that he was shot while he was driving? Well, there's a couple different stories of this, and it's been reported a little bit differently. Now, it sounds to me, I'm of that mindset that you are, that that he was shot while driving. There are some 
versions of the same story that he may have been parked temporarily. Now, parked temporarily, does that mean that he was parked on the side of the road or at a stop sign or a right. stop light and somebody opens fire on him? But this is very much like the way that I kind of envision Biggie Smalls or Tupac, right? Where the, the, the car pulls up alongside of the other car and bullets are fired into the vehicle. Right. Unfortunately, James wouldn't make it. He's not going to survive this situation. In fact, he bled out sadly with his brother Ryan at his side who held him as he died. Just uh, one bullet hole or multiple bullet holes? I'm assuming he was shot multiple times. Police later would call the incident a drive-by shooting. Now, whatever vehicle that it was that fired the shots, that vehicle was gone. So who would want to kill this mild-mannered, easygoing surfer guy? Well, police. normally the the vehicle that shoots the other person, they don't stick around to talk to police. <laughs> True that. Uh, police did not know who'd want to kill him, and unfortunately, no one was really talking. But police did catch on to something early in their investigation. And what they found only raised more questions. The drive-by shooting victim, James Colstad knew the missing man, Micah Holsenbake. They ran around in the same social circles, and James even helped Micah move residences just a few weeks before one disappeared and then the other was gunned down. So could the disappearance of one young father and the murder of another be connected, or is it just some kind of tragic coincidence? Well, our listeners know that there are very few tragic coincidences in these true crime stories. Michael went missing and was last seen March 23rd, 2018. James is murdered April 7th, 2018. And now there's still another piece of the puzzle that we have to introduce. Yeah, that's correct. And when we say, you know, there was no car, the car that, that shot at James didn't stick around. I think it's less that, the car wasn't there when police showed up and more so that when his brother arrives on the crash scene, who's there within minutes of the shooting, right. this car's still not there. And the brother doesn't seem to know exactly what has happened to his, his older brother, James. And now we have the situation too, captain where police don't have any leads on, on either situation on the disappearance of Micah or the murder of James but the one thing that they can piece together, and the problem with this is mainly that these two are running around in the same circles, and these are not the the best of circles to be in. These are these are bad circles to be in, my friend. So Yeah, these guys have bad jibs. A lot of the people that know these two individuals, and again, they're adults. They're in their 30s, so they're out living their own lives. They're not under underfoot of their parents and their other loved ones, and they're both kind of removed from their their families, you know, their, their children or their, um, in one case, an ex-wife. So we don't have a lot of people to fill in those blanks other than possibly people that run in these two circles. Now, what we do figure out, what investigators do figure out is the two know each other. And that is of importance because you have two situations, missing, murdered, no one's really talking, but aha, at least we know that they know a lot of the same people. Now, in this third case, this is going to bring us to our third person of importance, Bailey Despot. At just the age of 20, she's got her whole life ahead of her. Now, Bailey grew up in the middle class 
neighborhood of Rosedale. We've heard that name before. Here's another connection. Her family says Bailey could have done anything with her life. She was beautiful, smart, and kind. She was ambitious, but also a free spirit. When she was young, she was a member of the Future Farmers of America, someone who loved animals. In 2016, now this is just a year after high school, she ran away to Vegas and married her boyfriend, even though the relationship was volatile and, according to some reports, abusive. Yeah, so it was a relationship. Her parents obviously were not pleased about this marriage, which predictably ended quickly in 2017. Bailey, however, was devastated by this, and things didn't seem to get better for her. She totaled her car and then was let go from her job, and it's believed that Bailey thought that she could find comfort in the arms of men and possibly drugs. In early 2018, she moved in with a man that she was having a relationship with, a man more than twice her age. He was 43 years old. This man's name is Matthew Queen. Bailey's mom, Jane, says she last saw her daughter when she stopped at the house she shared with Matthew Queen to drop off some groceries. This was on April 23rd. But by just two days later, Bailey had dropped off of the face of the earth. No calls, no text, nothing. Jane filed a missing persons report with the Kearns County Sheriff's Office. But then she got a phone call. It was Cheryl Halsenbake, Micah's mom, and she told her that her son, too, was missing. Jane knew exactly who Micah was. You see, Bailey and Micah knew each other. It's hard to say exactly what their relationship was. Remember, Micah was 14 years older than Bailey. But we know that Bailey started spending time in the same circles as Micah. So we know that Bailey knows Micah and Micah knows James. Correct. But do we have any connection from James to Bailey? Well, what we're going to see is as we are able to find more information and continue with all three of their stories, it's much like a Quentin Tarantino picture, man. They all start to intertwine a little more as we go along. Well, then I'll take a Royale with cheese. In July of 2017, we have Bailey, who was actually arrested outside of Micah's house. So, I mean, just those documents, that information alone proves that she knew Micah. Micah knew her. She was charged with disorderly conduct in that situation. Apparently, those misdemeanor charges were dismissed. And Micah helped Bailey file for a restraining order against an abusive new boyfriend. This was in August of 2017, which the restraining order was granted. But these incidents were just the beginning of a precipitous decline for Bailey, a decline into drugs and unsavory company. Three weeks after getting that restraining order. She told her parents that she was drugged at a party. She was drugged with a spiked drink and then gang raped. She started going off on multi-day benders and resurfacing with stories of being kidnapped. She would call at all hours of the night, pleading for help and asking to be picked up. But sometimes she's calling, asking to be picked up, and she doesn't know where she is. 
Sometimes she had no shoes or possessions when her family got to her. Her sister recalled one night when two cars drove up and picked Bailey up. Her sister Caitlin said that Bailey clearly did not want to go with whoever was waiting for her in the driveway. Soon after that, this is when she ended up with that Matthew Queen. In December of 2017, while out one night, Matthew Queen and Bailey were pulled over by police. Now, cops found four loaded guns, including an AR-15, in the car. Matthew Queen was charged with six counts of possession of a firearm by a felon, possession of ammo by a felon, and possession of an assault rifle. Bailey pled no contest to misdemeanor weapons charges of carrying a loaded gun and carrying concealed weapons. She received three years probation and then moved in with Matthew Queen. And get this, Captain, this is where it gets, I mean, it's it's a weird story already, but gets a little more bizarre. She moves in with Matthew Queen and Matthew Queen's estranged wife and Matthew's mother. They're all in one house, right? Not, Not weird at all. A new form of the Brady Bunch. Matthew Queen had quite a police record. Yeah, you think? Including a stint in the early 2000s in federal prison on gun charges. Now, this is from an appeals court ruling. Quote, between late December 2000 and July 2001, Queen purchased 39 firearms from federally licensed dealers in the state of Indiana. The guns cost more than $11,000, and at least 11 of them later were recovered at crime scenes in the Detroit and Chicago areas. Gun sale records link the purchases back to Queen, end quote. So he's buying up guns in different states, and then he's selling them to terrible, horrible people, and these guns are finding their way to crime scenes. And then police are able later to track these guns back to him. Yeah, follow the shit crumbs. So Bailey's living with this guy Mm. who could not stay away from guns. Big illegal ones at that. And after April 25th, 2018, no one could get a hold of Bailey. And she was reportedly pregnant at the time. Oh, man. Bailey was last seen by her mom on the 25th at a house she and Matthew Queen shared This, again, when Jane dropped off those groceries that we already mentioned. Right. At that time, she said Bailey opened the door and thanked her mother, but then said that she had to go. Jane never talked to her again. After a few days, she went to the house and was told by a teenage boy who lived there that he hadn't seen Bailey. So she reported Bailey missing to the authorities. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or 
or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I 
am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back to the windows, to the walls. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. And if you're looking for something to do, come hang out with me and Bob Ruff from Truth and Justice. We're going to be doing a live event and meet and greet up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, April 16th. You can find out more information on my website, CaptainFatHands.com. There you go. And I want to give a cheers and a my thoughts and hopes and heart and prayers are going out to the people in and around Ukraine, I admire your courage, your bravery, and your resolve. May God be with you all, please. Now, back to our story here, Captain. The first story, the first news story that came out about Bailey appeared on June 8th. Now, this is after Bailey was missing for nearly six weeks. We have KGET which did gangbusters reporting on this case. In fact, such gangbusters reporting that a reporter went on the Dr. Phil show to talk about the Bakersfield three. Now reports that Matthew queen told police he last saw Bailey at a neighborhood near Palm Avenue and Renfro road. And he says she was in the company of a Hispanic male. He also made multiple Facebook posts saying that Bailey ran away and accusing her mom of trying to pin it on him when Bailey just skipped town. He insinuated that perhaps she had harmed herself saying that Bailey was off her meds, that she was depressed and she wanted to die. In one of his posts, he also mentioned that he knew Micah. With that, Cheryl Holsenbake said it was very obvious, this is Micah's mother, it was very obvious that it was not a coincidence. And people out there know something. Definitely not a coincidence. And again, you run in circles with people abusing drugs and you're running in circles with criminals. It's it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, the, the situation is exactly as you said. Very bleak. Two missing, one dead, and now, of course, with the three being kind of linked together, you have the fear by loved ones and, and friends searching for these other two that unfortunately they may have already succumbed to the same conclusion, the same fate that we had in the drive-by shooting case. So one month after Micah goes missing, his mother, Cheryl, her phone rings. It was Diane Burns, James's mom. 
She told Cheryl her own son had been killed in April, and he seemed to know many of the same people as Micah, who was missing. The two moms realized that their kids, their grown children, both ran in the same circles. The moms formed a united front and forced law enforcement to listen to their detailed connections between the children, the adult children. Diane and Cheryl told law enforcement, quote, something's not right. Our sons knew the same people. Then when Bailey's missing posters start going up, they pulled Jane into their little ring after Lance recognized Bailey's name as rumors connected to his son's disappearance. Well, like you said, I mean, this is all happening within 30 days of each other. Yes. Uh, about 33 days to be exact when we, from start starting point to the, the final person of the three being reported missing. So we have the family that's coming forward and they're saying, look, person A knows person B, person B knows person C, that these three are all somewhat connected and somehow they're connected. We don't know how yet, but they ran in the same circles and they're now proving to police that person a does in fact, know person B and something terrible happened to both of them. And person B knows person C and something terrible has happened to both of them. And so you can see how this is kind of filling in some of the blanks for law enforcement. Also, now we have people that are, are going to be, come into to more question here, Captain, right? When you start to see the same names in these victims' lives over and over again, well, those people are moving up your priority list of people to interview and possible suspects. Well, and also they're drug users, so they're going to be coming in contact with more people. So they're a little more unpredictable as far as their routines go, and they're going to probably come in contact with more random people than the than the average citizen would. Right. So we have a situation where Micah knows James, Micah knows Bailey, and now we have the family saying that, look, all three of these people, all three of these individuals knew each other. It was all one big interconnected circle of people. Yeah. The mothers, the three mothers, named their kids' collective case the Bakersfield Three. That's where that name comes from. And the moniker took off in the media. Normally, once there's any reporting of the victims using drugs, it, it seems like the public and, and the media kind of disappear from looking into those cases harder. But but the three mothers in this case, are, they're not going to let this go. They're not going to just let this die out of the public's eyes. No, the, the three moms and their families made it their quest to find their children, or their children's killers. They did not believe that their cases all following within one month and with all three knowing each other, that they could be anything other than connected. Bailey's family offered a $6,000 reward in Bailey's case and posters plastered all over the neighborhood with photos of all three victims, the Bakersfield three seeking information and the moms started to compare notes. Micah's mom said that before his disappearance, her son had become paranoid. Well, that's definitely a red flag. He said someone had threatened him and he feared for his safety. 
Now his mother did too. This after she learned that he was selling drugs. She told Bakersfield.com, quote, My mom instinct is that he found himself in over his head. She said she dropped Micah off in a sketchy part of town and he vanished. Cheryl started to believe he had been killed. James's mom felt the same way. Diane told KGET that a lot of the people that were hanging out with him were doing drugs and that he hung out in the same circles as Micah. Now she tells Dr. Phil, quote, I believe my son was set up to be murdered, end quote. Well, they're using dangerous drugs, but they're also surrounding themselves with dangerous people. Yeah, Bailey's living with somebody that has all kinds of weapons charges against him. Now, I hope nobody in the Bakersfield area needs a bacchiotomy because we're about to talk about one bad chiropractor. By September 2018, there was some news in the case. The house in front of which James had been shot belonged to a chiropractor. His name is Dr. Suki Bajwa. And this guy wasn't exactly the model of professionalism. Documents filed with the chiropractic board reflected that the doctor was in some legal trouble. In fact, he had to surrender his license to practice because on October 7th, 2016, Bakersfield PD responded to a call about a vehicle smashing into some parked cars. They saw Bajwa and a woman walking quickly from the scene, walking away from the scene in an alley. When they stopped him, Bajwal denied being the driver or the owner of the car that was smashing into the parked cars. He said he was just a passenger. But the car was registered in his name, and seatbelt burns on his body showed that he had, in fact, been in the driver's seat. And cops noted that he exhibited signs of being under the influence of a controlled substance. This included slurred speech, bloodshot eyes, droopy eyelids, nodding, and the inability to stay alert. The female passenger, the unnamed female passenger, did in fact tell police that Bajois was driving the vehicle and that he had even asked her to lie for him. Well, Bajois, your pants are on fire. We're not just talking about a DUI here, Captain, because when cops searched the car, they recovered two firearms a Smith & Wesson M&P AR-15, and a Heckler & Koch MP522 long-range rifle with a faux suppressor. Both rifles had high-capacity magazines that contained live ammunition. Right. A records check revealed the firearms were not registered, and Dr. Bajwa was arrested and then convicted of three misdemeanors in connection with the DUI crash and guns. Bajwa was sentenced to, well, 10 days in jail. That's what you get when you're real bad. But he did get three years probation, and he had over $2,000 in fines. Then in May of 2017, Bajwa was arrested again. This time, police officers were dispatched to a suspicious activity incident. Bajwa was the front passenger in a vehicle, and stated that he had a loaded capped syringe in the interior of his left jacket pocket. Police recovered a syringe filled with a dark brown liquid substance believed to be liquid heroin. 
Officers also found a bottle containing several Xanax pills. In addition, officers located two additional yellow oval-shaped pills, which later were identified as hydrocodone. After this arrest, Bajwal pled guilty to both selling drugs and carrying a loaded gun. Again, another slap on the wrist. 180 days in jail, three years probation, and another fine. Yeah, it's a pretty pathetic sentencing. So it was at this shady guy's house, the chiropractor's house, that James was cited at on the night that he was killed. This was the home that he was in the process of leaving when he's gunned down. We know that because, again, remember his brother Ryan was at the same location. He's the one that tells that to the public, and he told that to Dr. Phil when he was on his show. Now, here's what he tells Dr. Phil. He says, Ryan says that I was at Dr. Bajwa's house that night. Supposedly, they were eating pizza and watching some movies with a group of people. And Ryan said that Bajwa owed James money. His brother, James, the doctor, owes him money. For what? We don't really know, but... It was not a small amount of money. Oh, probably hand jobs and cracker jacks. Could be. I don't know that Bajwa, it sounds to me like he wasn't able to practice practice at this time. He's already been arrested twice. And again, at some point, his license was revoked. Now, what we do know, though, Captain, is that Ryan tells us that his brother James was coming to Bajwa's house to collect that large amount of money. And Bajwa tells Ryan, hey, tell your brother he better not come here. I'm going to have my boys over, and they're going to be strapped. Ryan relayed the message to his brother, and the two have an argument. Ryan then left to drive someone else home and then returns to Bajwa's house. He says maybe approximately 90 minutes later. So James was in the driveway at this time when Ryan returns. At this time, James then pulled out and did a U-turn and pulled in behind a parked car. Ryan, still driving toward the house, hears shots, hears gunshots. He ran to his brother, but it was too late. James was lying on the ground after crawling out of the vehicle, bleeding. Ryan maintains that all he saw was a silver car. He denied to Dr. Phil that he knows who shot his brother. He did say he suspected Bajwa of engineering the shooting, obviously based off of the threats that Bajwa told him to relay to his brother earlier that night. Yeah. A lot of bad people in this case, and you can, you can smell it. Yeah. People who carried and used guns, possibly dealt guns, manufactured guns and traded in guns. And so the connection here is, is with James and the story of the doctor owing him a large sum of money. Yeah. One could easily draw a line from one dot to the other and say, well, maybe that money was for drugs, but I actually think that it was probably for guns and, or maybe some illegally and, or maybe for some illegal gambling. Again, we know he's Joe Vegas. And then we have Micah's involvement in guns. And we know that they all know each other. Now, Lance, Micah's father, said his son had told him something before he vanished, something Lance didn't believe at the time. 
He said, quote, I'm putting together guns. I'm going here and putting together guns for people, end quote. Lance thought his son was exaggerating and was just paranoid at that time. Later, he's going to grow to believe that this means something, that this is some indication of the truth and some kind of peek into Micah's personal life. Lance says that when Micah told him this information, again, he thought he was exaggerating, maybe even paranoid, but he also told him, hey, if, if you're doing that kind of stuff, it's easy. You just stop. You, you can get out. Please stop and get out. And he also said, if you're afraid of people, then you need to stop and get away from them. But Micah said to his father, I can't do that. I'm afraid for my family. Lance said to KGET News, quote, Micah was mixed up for the first time in his life in things that were illegal. So it's logical for police to think he got out of town. He's hiding out, end quote. But he wasn't. Lance's younger son started asking around and the name Bailey popped up. Yeah. The Holson Bakes didn't recognize that name at first, but then within a week or so, they started to see missing persons flyers with Bailey's name and photo. They realized Bailey Despot, missing person, was the same woman who was now somehow linked to Micah. Lance astutely said that he was pretty sure what had happened to Micah. The same thing happened to Bailey because she knew what happened to Micah. All of the Bakerfield three were putting themselves in harm's way by one using dangerous drugs and then being around a dangerous group of people, whether it's within the drug community or you know, the drug community is also connected to other criminal communities. And whatever happened to these three, we're not saying they deserved any of this at all on Definitely any not. level at all. What we're simply saying here is that if you put yourself in a bad situation enough times, it's only logical that something bad may happen to you. It's not victim blaming. It's unfortunately the way that the world works. And if you have any other beliefs other than that, well, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's circle back to something that we talked about in the trailer here, Captain. Remember the teenage swimmers in the Kern River? They yes. find that duffel bag floating in the river or somehow find it in the river. Thinking that it may have contained money, they open it, they find the sweatshirt inside and unfortunately find a badly decomposed severed arm. Well, that was the summer of 2018. And we need to fast forward to December of 2018. This is when testing, testing revealed that the arm belonged to Micah, one of our victims that we're talking about. He was officially classified as deceased and officially classified as the victim of a homicide. It was not possible to determine whether the arm was cut off pre or post-mortem, said the pathologist. But the arm had a black zip tie still on the wrist and marks that indicated that the arm had been cut off using a saw. Searches of five miles around the spot where the arm was found. This is near Highway 178. Unfortunately, they were fruitless searches. But police came out and said that the case bore marked similarities to Bailey's disappearance. Definitely. 
which is a little confusing to me, but we're going to continue to dive into this. Right. Now, per Bakersfield.com, who we've continually cited here in this case, they state, quote, those similarities included, they state, quote, those similarities include witnesses, locations, and evidence, end quote. The Bakersfield PD took over Bailey's case from the Kern County Sheriff's Office after the two agencies compared notes and discovered the commonalities between the two cases. By mid-2019, police acknowledged that all three cases making up the Bakersfield Three were, in fact, connected. Join us back here in the garage. We have so much more to get to on episode two. And if you haven't left a five-star review on iTunes for the Colonel and the Captain, then then you need to do so right now to stop the episode and go over there. Shame on you. Shame, shame. Yes. So join us back here tomorrow for more true crime. And until then, be good, be kind, and don't let us. In this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.